we'll look into the Breonna Taylor case. That juror was calling for information from the secret proceedings to be made public. Meantime, the Kentucky Attorney General confirmed he did not recommend murder charges to the grand jury. Taylor, of course, was killed in March during a botched police raid. And the grand jury decided last week not to charge the Louisville police officers with any crimes in connection with Taylor's death. Adriana Diaz is in Louisville for us. Adriana, good morning to you. Good morning. This is so unusual that an attorney familiar with the case told me he has never seen anything like this. In the notice, the grand juror says they only want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Mm. But the reason the attorney general is releasing these proceedings is because he was ordered to do so by a judge. It happened yesterday at the arraignment for former detective Brett Hankison. News was breaking by almost the hour yesterday, and late last night, the attorney general's office told us that they do plan to release those secret proceedings. The grand jury voted to return an indictment against Detective Hankinson. Last week, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron announced that the grand jury in the Breonna Taylor case would only charge former Detective Brett Hankinson with wanton endangerment for firing his weapon into Taylor's neighbor's apartment. Yesterday, Hankinson was arraigned, pleading not guilty. Then, in a stunning twist, a member of that grand jury filed a notice requesting the proceedings be made public. According to the notice, the juror accused Cameron of using the grand jurors as a shield to deflect accountability and responsibility for these decisions. Mm. Detective uh, Cosgrove and uh, Sergeant Mattingly uh, were justified in returning fire because they were fired upon. Late last night, Cameron confirmed he only recommended the charge of wanton endangerment against Detective Hankison to the grand jury because he said the evidence supports that the other officers were justified in the shooting out of self-defense. You believe this is a cover-up? Absolutely, it was a cover-up. Frederick Moore, the attorney for Kenny Walker, Taylor's boyfriend, believes the evidence will show the officers violated the law when they shot at Taylor and Walker. Walker admits to firing a warning shot first. Officials say that shot hit an officer. Walker's attorneys say it may not have. I believe when all of the facts are revealed, people will see that these officers were not justified in their actions. These developments come the same day Vice News published audio reportedly from an interview Louisville police investigators conducted with SWAT Commander Lieutenant Dale Massey, who responded to the scene after the shooting. It was just an egregious act. I mean, from our perspective, if that's in fact what happened, I mean, if other details come to light, it is what it is. The audio has not been independently verified by CBS News, but David James, the president of the Louisville Metro Council, says these developments degrade the integrity of the case. I don't know how the grand jury could have came up with this conclusion. A former prosecutor and criminal defense attorney tells us that releasing these secret grand jury proceedings sets a, quote, terrible precedent. The attorney general's office deadline to do so is noon tomorrow. Well, Adriana, thank you. It seems the more information you hear about the case, the more questions you have about this case. Certainly more to come. Thank you very much, Adriana Diaz. The cores of America right now are clogged with mayonnaise. We're listening to Vice News. And the Brianna Taylor grand jury, second grand jury. Only one person be allowed to talk about what happened in that room. At a press conference.
Tuesday, lawyers representing so-called grand juror number one condemned efforts by Attorney General Daniel Cameron to prevent their client from speaking publicly. Everyone here is seeking the same thing. We want transparency. We want the truth to be told. The two sides presented their cases to Judge Annie O'Connell last Thursday. The judge has not yet issued a ruling, but the AG's office has already filed a motion stating its intent to appeal the decision if she rules in favor of the juror. It's a preemptive move by the Attorney General's office. The juror's attorneys filed a response to the AG's motion earlier this week, and on Tuesday, community activist Chris 2X announced a second juror is now interested in speaking out, but has not yet hired a lawyer. They have expressed that they're going to keep monitoring the situation as it relates to the courts. Citing attorney-client privilege, attorney Kevin Glogauer says he can't discuss exactly what the grand juror wants to say, but stressed the inconsistencies between Cameron's public statements about the case and the grand jury recordings that were released earlier this month. Uh, he made mention six or so times that the grand jury was given absolutely everything on this matter, uh, which is clearly not the case when you look at the grand jury recordings. Uh, and the subsequently released PIU files that are also public. Glogauer says if they win, the grand juror will want to remain anonymous out of concern for legal or community backlash. He insists his client is willing to work with the court and the AG's office, but says the feeling has not been mutual. While we're not saying we want this unfettered discussion and offering open discussion, transparency, they're still digging their heels in and trying to prevent all of that. Denny Camper, WLKY News. That was back on October 13th. That was published October 13th. And today is uh, the 24th, 24th of October. There's been other developments since then. The second grand juror has not come forward. the only other person in the apartment with Brianna that night. He says he thought intruders were trying to break in. This morning, Kenneth Walker, Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, is speaking out just hours after one of the officers involved in the shooting told ABC News and the Courier Journal that police did announce themselves at the door. She had been sleeping and I was kind of dozing off. That was just a, it was a loud bang at the door. That bang, as we now know, was officers executing a search warrant. And she was scared to death, as was I. Walker says they never heard police announce themselves. And she's still saying who is it the whole time. I'm saying who is it now. It's too late for anybody to be knocked on the door. So I grab my gun, then we proceed to go answer the door. And when we get right in the doorway of the, of the bedroom, the door flies open. One of the people rushing through that door, Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, who told Michael in that ABC News Courier Journal exclusive interview that the officers had identified themselves and that when he entered the dark apartment, he saw two figures in the hallway. And as soon as I turned the corner, actually my eyes went straight to the barrel of his gun. Investigators say Walker, who legally owned his gun, fired one shot, striking Mattingly in the leg. A claim Walker disputes. Protect Brianna, protect myself. That's what was going through my head. 
So I let off one shot, you know, at the ground. I'm figuring it's intruders or somebody trying to break in and, and harm us. Mattingly and two other officers returning fire. 32 shots in total, fatally striking Taylor. When we were doing our job, we returned fire. This is not us going hunting somebody down. I don't know what's happening. Somebody kicked in the door inside my girlfriend. A grand jury charged one of the then officers on the scene, Brett Hankison, with wanton endangerment of Taylor's neighbor. Hankison pleading not guilty, but no one was charged in connection to Taylor's death. Walker this morning responding directly to the officers. Regardless of the people responsible for her murder get charged or not, they got to live with that and feel that every day. And the judge has given grand jurors permission to talk publicly about the case. One juror has come forward to say they were never given homicide charges to consider. Michael? I'm sure there's a lot more to come out in the future. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for that. That was uh, published on October 22nd, Thursday, two days ago, in an interview with ABC News. And Louisville, Louis, Louisville's Courier Journal. Let's see what else is available after these ads on YouTube. Officer John Medley, Breakfast Club. Oh my. He's making the rounds. Well, donkey of the day for Thursday, October 22nd, goes the Louisville Metro Police Officer, Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly. Who is Jonathan Mattingly? Jonathan Mattingly was the first police officer to rush into Breonna Taylor's apartment on March 13th. Uh, he got shot in the thigh when Kenneth Walker, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend and legal gun owner, fired a shot at him because he thought it was a home invasion. Now, yesterday I heard someone say that the shooting death of Breonna Taylor wasn't race-driven. And I said, okay, I, I might can agree with that. I, I think everything after she was shot was race driven though but the initial shooting based off the evidence of uh, i've seen and things that have been presented to me it just seems like a tragic mistake a mistake someone should be held responsible for but i don't think it was race driven but everything after that from the cover-up to not getting brianna taylor medical attention to not presenting all the evidence to the grand jury to charging officers with just one ton endangerment all of that was race related because this country has shown us over and over and over again that black lives black lives they just don't matter in America. Well, I saw a headline yesterday in the Courier Journal that said Louisville officer at center of Breonna Taylor case needs to just stop talking. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you something. I agree. In fact, Jonathan Mattingly needs to shut the F up forever because the Courier Journal article states every time he opens his mouth, he reminds us what is wrong with policing in Louisville. Mm -hmm. I will take it a step further and say not just policing in Louisville. This is what's wrong with policing everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not just policing, though. Mm -hmm. Just people. Okay, the way we see each other in America might be irreparably damaged. I'm serious. Some white people can't help but to see us as a threat, and I will never understand how a group of people kidnap, rape, torture, murder, and oppress another group of people for hundreds of years but convince themselves and the world that the person being marginalized is a threat. Okay? Big cap! This is exactly what Jonathan Madden was doing yesterday on ABC News. Just a cap-and-ass cop who you can't even really call tone deaf because whether we want to accept it or not, this is a lot of police officers, especially white police officers, tone. Let's go to ABC News for the report, please. 
In fact, uh, start with the criminal profiling, racial profiling. You know, you talk about racial profiling, good police anyway, police I've worked with don't racial profile, they criminal profile. So let's address the fact that just because you're black, you're a threat. It's not the case. I'm not scared. Well, that's, that's how black men feel. That's how black women feel. But does that make it real? If it's because how you feel, then it's real. No, not necessarily. What is the difference between criminal profile and racial profile? Criminal profiling is when you get to know an area, uh -huh. okay? I work, if when you work in an area long enough, you can tell by people's demeanors, if you pull up beside somebody and they don't make eye contact or swerve off, there's just different elements of people's psychological game that they, that they put out that you can tell when you've done something long enough. So basically, it's a feeling, not just a feeling. I mean, it's a feeling that goes along with, with what you've experienced, with what is in the area, what should or shouldn't be. Let's unpack this. This is my therapist. Says, let's unpack this. Uh, criminal profiling and racial profiling. Um, I, I think it's the same thing because I don't care how, how much you know crime happens in predominantly white areas. They will never, never criminally profile white people. Knock it off. This guy said criminal profiling is looking for people who don't make eye contact with police or go the other direction when they say a police officer. That is me. Okay, John, you have no idea what it means to be black, do you? Do you realize I avoid police officers? In my last book, Shook One, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me, I wrote a chapter called Black Annoyed. That's being black and paranoid in America. I'm sorry. I'm traumatized by videos like George Floyd. I'm traumatized by Sandra Bland. I, if I'm driving and an officer gets behind me, I pull over on the side of the road because I'm traumatized by videos like Philando Castile. I don't want any problems. That don't make me a criminal. That means in my mind, I'm just trying to survive, okay? Avoiding eye contact with you is not a crime. All right, going in the other direction when I see you is not a crime. Okay, now listen to what John Mattingly said about George Floyd. You look at a George Floyd, what happened to him is tragic. It was horrible. Everybody looked at it and said, wrong, bad, disgusting. And what happens? They end up getting locked up. But in my opinion, that was the right call, whether he died of an overdose or, or whatever. But in my opinion, George mm -hmm. Floyd was not a model citizen. It's very hard for me to sit here and hear George Floyd died of, uh, of uh, over an overdose. He died because someone was kneeling on his neck for minutes. And I agree with that. In regards of him being a model citizen or not, he didn't deserve that. No one deserved that. Nobody said he did. So why did you bring it up? If him not being a model citizen has, citizen has nothing to do with him being killed, why did John Madeline bring it up? That's why folks scream Black Lives Matter right there. Because you think because, you know, by, by your definition, George Floyd wasn't a model citizen, model citizen whatever that means. Okay, you are attempting to justify his death. Well, let me tell you something, John Madeline. Based off just these two comments you made to ABC News, I think you might be a trash-ass human who lacks empathy for black people. If you get killed in the line of duty, minding your business, and someone smokes you, what do you think the reaction would be if someone said, well, John Mattingly, that's the dude who said George Floyd wasn't a model citizen and blamed Kenneth Walker for Breonna's death. What if I say, yeah, he's trash, as if that's justification, you know, for what would be your tragic murder? Oh, and did you hear me say he blamed Kenneth Walker for Brianna's death? Oh, yeah, he did that on ABC News, too. Let's listen. How would you have done it differently if you could have? We would have either served the no-knock warrant or we would have done the normal thing we do, which is five to ten seconds, to not give people time to formulate a plan. Because if that had happened, Brianna Taylor would be alive. The scenario, the way it was set up, the scene, he put her in an impossible situation. Oh, do God. you feel Kenneth Walker is responsible oh, for, for her death? I think there's a few people responsible. I think he is. But Kenneth Walker says he is a protector. Your actions are sometimes still to blame whether you did it intentionally or not. 
Big cat. Oh my big lies. Big fabrication. I, can't. I don't care what anyone said. Kenneth Walker did exactly uh. what he was supposed to do in that situation. I don't care if Dr. Strange presented us with 14,605 futures and every single one, Kenneth Walker made the right decision. And he did what anyone who believes in their 2A rights would do in that situation. Someone kicks in your door while you sleep. You don't know who it is. You meet them with fire. Same way cops kick that door in with guns drawn. Us civilians would come out with guns drawn and guns blazing if it was our house too. I can't even allow myself to get mad at John Mattingly. Getting mad at him means nothing, but I am pissed off at the system, but I don't know how to change the system because we can't change white men with the mindset of John Mattingly. Because once again, the oppressors have convinced us that we are the problem. Okay, this guy, John Mattingly, is on ABC News saying he's a victim. Listen to this guy. This is not relatable to a George Floyd. This is nothing like it. It's not a Mud Arbery. It's nothing like it. These are two totally different type incidences. It's not a race thing like people want to try to make it to be. This is a point where we were doing our job. We gave too much time. When we go in, I get shot. We return fire. And I know I'm, I'm not going to sit here and act like playing the big victim card. But, I, I mean, I was a victim in this as well. My family has been a victim in this. They have had to go and hide. They have had death threats. John Mattingly said, big victim, okay? In the words of Malcolm X, if you're not careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. John Mattingly, once again, I need you to shut the F up forever. If your family is getting so many threats, if your family is in so much danger, then why are you talking? That's true. Talking like that. Then why are you on ABC News putting salt in people's wounds, twisting the knife that you already put in people's backs? How can anyone ever find healing when you won't even acknowledge the community's hurt? How can we ever heal when you're blaming us? For our murder. Please let Remy Ma give John Mattingly the biggest hee haw. Hee haw, hee haw. You stupid motherfucker. Are you dumb? My goodness. All right. Well, Be dumb. Thank you for that donkey oh, today. So irritating. Donkey today is brought to you by the law office of Michael S. Lamisoff. Don't be a donkey. Dial pound two fifty on your cell and say the bull if you've been hurt in a construction accident. That's pound two five zero from your cell and say the bull. Well, that was refreshing. I'd like to hear that one again. That was the Breakfast Club. Be allowed to talk about. Yeah, this is. Huh. This is just. Oh. You know what I'd like to play? I'd like to play the Vice News. Vice News video. Well, I've already played it and posted it on the show in the last week or two. All the information that the Vice News reporters found on Mattingly's personnel file. 
just horrible. He has to shut his mouth like people are telling me. He has to shut his mouth because he's digging a deeper hole that he'll never get out of. Oh, <clears throat> well. You have power. A power forged in revolution. <laughs> Expanded through struggle. In protest. Strengthened with spirit. You want support Rollerbox Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Let's Every hear dollar it. that you <laughs> give to us supports our We heard Charlemagne before uh, Roland Martin will, will blow off even more steam. He's up next. Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron has two days until noon Friday to give the court the actual audio recordings of the grand jury proceedings, which led to one officer facing charges in the death of Brianna Taylor. Uh, now, a jury, a grand jury uh, member, was the one who filed. Uh, a petition with the court saying it should be released because they were frankly angry at the hearing some of the answers of Daniel, Daniel Cameron. Uh, uh, Bob Lott, Robert, we've never—I can't recall ever seeing a grand juror, which is which is grand jury is secret, come out and say essentially his ass lying. And so <laughs> y'all need to know what really happened, and his ass lying. So release the damn recording. And so they're giving Cameron's office two days because they say they got to redact some witnesses' uh, names because they, they, they said that could affect the federal investigation. Robert. You, you know, this is the first uh, for me also. This this should be from the beginning reminded me of Kenneth Walker in Columbus, Georgia, uh, back in 2004. Uh, a, a similar sh shooting incident where the grand jury turned a no bill on the uh, on the indictment despite clear evidence of, of a police murder. And I think that this is an unprecedented step and hopefully sets the, uh, sets the bar for what happens going forward. We ha There has to be transparency. Far too long uh, prosecutors have been able to hide behind the grand jury to do their dirty work for when they don't want to indict. A, a police officer. We all know that the uh, the prosecutor can indict anybody that he feels like during the grand jury process. The only time they don't get an indictment is when they don't want to indict somebody. So this is a, a, a very important step for us to watch, and we need to find out whether or not we can trust the prosecutors in this case. And this is even more of a reason that we have to have a Department of Justice that's interested in actual civil rights prosecutions, and that what Jeff Sessions and Bob Barr have been using for the last four years. So uh, uh, this guy again is a is a huge uh, is a huge case. Again, Cameron wanted a week. The judge said, "Nope, you got till Friday noon on Friday to turn over those grand jury recordings." Yeah. So what what do we look for when he turns over the recordings? The first thing you look for is you confirm that this was not an investigative grand jury, whereby the grand jury did the investigation with the help of the AG. That the AG did this investigation and then presented what he wanted to present and did not present what he did not want to present because he didn't believe he had a legal basis for it. I think that's going to be the latter. Secondly, what charges did he present? He probably just presented the charges where they brought back an indictment. What you would like for him to present is a number of charges, a number of police officers, and let them come back with a no-true bill. That's really the open and transparent way of doing this, including felony murder. 
And I keep talking about felony murder on social media and some of the other uh, shows I do because if there was a felony committed and someone was killed in the commission of that felony, whether the bullet of Hankinson killed Breonna Taylor or not, a felony is still being committed. Now, I'm not as familiar with Kentucky law as I am with D.C., New York, or Illinois, but I will tell you this. It's got to at least be considered. And so you're looking not for what he put in. You're looking for what he did not present to the grand jury, and then you make your case to impanel another one that investigates and either votes a no true bill or votes a true bill so that it's transparent and the public feels that this was fair analysis and review uh, by the grand jury and the criminal justice system. Got it. Lauren, the thing here is this here. Now, this grand grand juror's decision, he's also forced Cameron to to come out and say he did not even present the possibility of the grand jury uh, pursuing murder charges. Daniel Cameron lied when he went before the cameras, Mm -hmm. and now he is being forced to be honest with the public about what he did as a special prosecutor. The whole thing has the look of what exactly he thought it was going to be when he had that stupid-ass press conference. It's going to blow up in his face. And it's going to blow up in his face because everybody's going to hear exactly what happened in there, and it's going to be the opposite. It's going to be the opposite of what it should have been, which is exactly what everybody suspected when he had that press conference. I mean, this is a ridiculous crime. I know we're about to talk about Eric Garner. That, that was another ridiculous crime. This woman is in her home at, at one in the morning. They've got the wrong warrant. We can't even establish whether or not they did announce. Although all the cop friends that I had said, even if somebody did announce, if you break through my door at 1 a.m., I'm reaching for my gun either way. According to the grand jury, here's the deal. According to Cameron, one one witness said they heard the cop say that, but right. that person said it on their third try. The first two times they didn't say that. Eleven other witnesses said we heard nothing, and so it was sort of like. They were waiting, trying to get somebody to say what they wanted them to say. Finish your point, please. But they didn't put any of those others in the grand jury either. The outrageousness of it, the outrageousness of it. finish your point. This outrageousness, the outrageousness of this particular uh, moment in police brutality is 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 off the cliff. Is off the cliff. It's it's you're in your own home in the middle of the night, and somebody's broke right through the door. And of course, somebody who has a gun inside is going to reach for it and try to defend themselves. Right, and they right, end wait, wait, up killing. Right. They end up killing the person that he doesn't even have the firearm. That's the other thing yeah. that nobody right. ever but, but, right. but, 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 but here's the deal. But here's but here's the deal, Scott. We also, like in the recording, we also know the ballistics report didn't match. And so the bottom line is this here: yeah. by by this grand juror doing this, it is putting the pressure on Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron to come clean, and he has already been exposed as a liar, and we're about to find out some more stuff. 30 seconds. Um, So, um, you're absolutely right, because here the AG made choices and decisions on what to put in the grand jury, what didn't. Why not put everything in the grand jury and let them decide? And what Lauren is really talking about is uh, centuries old, the Castle Doctrine. I have a right to defend my home versus the police having a right to kick it in whether they announce or not. It's just a tragic uh, errors, uh, factual errors here. But what about our castle rights doctrine or the rights that Breonna Taylor and her boyfriend had? Those are being completely ignored here as part of this investigation. All right, folks, back to that video in just a minute.
posted nearly every possible news clip that could be found either video or print well here's Tamika Mallory it's always good to hear from her is how that great promise is kept. Respond today online, by phone, or by mail and help inform hundreds of billions in funding for education, health programs, and Tamika Mallory from the organization Until Freedom. They have been protesting there. Their team actually has moved to Louisville. She did not hold back in blasting the Attorney General of Kentucky. Mentioned at the press conference, which I thought was quite interesting, that he's a black man. And as I laid and cried and hurt for Tamika Palmer and for Breonna Taylor and for Kenny Walker and for Janaya, who we need to love up on, as I laid there and I thought about him saying he's a black man, I thought about the ships that went into Fort Monroe and Jamestown with our people on them over 400 years ago. And how there were also black men on those ships that were responsible for bringing our people over here. Daniel Cameron is no different than the sellout Negroes that sold our people into slavery. And helped This is October 6th report. 
I think we listened to this. Oh yeah. We heard that one. We played that one. Hmm. What's next? Well, let's play the third grand jury recording, September 23rd, the full grand jury recording. There's over 15 hours.
exit from. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, the first two, that is the ones in the torso, those bullets remained and were found by the uh, by the medical examiner and the detectives who were present at the autopsy. Yes, sir. Why is that important that the medical examiner permitted all enforcement and autopsy to recover bullets? Establish the chain of command that came directly from the victim to the medical examiner, and then the detective recovers them directly from the victim. All right, and what can what can uh, what kind of forensic work can be done on bullets? We're going to be talking about some of that, but explain a little bit briefly. Yes, sir. Firearms. That's important. Firearms examiners can examine the projectile and see if it came from a particular weapon. And how do they do that briefly without getting too complicated? Uh, be the most simple terms I can. I apologize if I'm a little remedial for some of you. If I was to fire a Glock 22, uh, 40 caliber weapon here today, obviously the projectile would go out uh, through through the weapon. It would be marked with lands and grooves. The uh, casing would be ejected. It would also be marked. The uh, firearms examiner then does a comparison to those ballistics by doing test firing like or similar uh, ammunition, and then compares the test fires to the actual rounds. So the lands and grooves that are, that are found on an expended bullet and on a casing, are those marks for the most part unique? Yes, sir. And is it because of their uniqueness that they can attribute those, those bullets and casings to an actual gun that was used to fire? That's correct. And we're going to be talking about something. Yes, sir. All right. So let's go to the next uh, uh, wound that we have. Can we? Oh, that's a fire. Thank you. I'm sorry. And let's talk about some of the in the, the wounds that are on the chart in the lower extremities of this Taylor fire. She had a wound to her left lower thigh that exited actually her left rear upper thigh or side of her thigh. She also had a through and through what I call through and through shot of shot that went through her right foot and exited. And she also had a projectile that was found in the heel of her right foot. Okay. All right. Did the medical examiner uh, determine the cause of death for this young woman? Yes, sir. And what was that? It was the wound here to the left upper breast. Uh, did he indicate uh, the, the, the trajectory or the, the, the manner in which it entered and, and left in the body, the direction? Yes, sir. It entered body in this area and took us uh, downward direction from there. Right. Did it injure or, or cause injuries to her lungs and did they ultimately cause her death? Injury to her lungs also uh, ruptured an artery that caused some severe bleeding. Right. Thank you. Uh, our next exhibit, who is John Mattingly? They've heard his name. Just a refresher of like, who is he a, a detective? For? John Mattingly is the detective sergeant from the police department that was also shot at this crime scene. Uh, and we've heard evidence you're familiar with he was shot at the scene. Yes, sir. Uh, and do and what is this we have here at 65 for the record? Thank you. 65 for the record. Yes, yes sir. And, and what is 65? Orient is here for a minute. Is this a wound locator chart? Yes, sir. This is a wound locator. And was this done by Dr. Schmock? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, you're familiar with Dr. Schmock? Yes, sir. I've worked with, work. work with Dr. Schmock many times over here. He's the preeminent lung, uh, forensic lung doctor in Louisville, is that correct? Yes, sir. Or really in the Commonwealth. Right. All right. Now, do we have wounds indicated here that Mr. Mattingly suffered based on the forensic work of Dr. Schmock? 
one up to kind of orient them with where these projectiles are with either photo that helps you. The projectiles are the casings you'll be seeing. The, the, first, the first casings are, are here. This is the parking lot there in the area of these cars. Let's go up here and look at what we got. Now, I'm going to make it simple. If you look at this, right, this thing area here where the casings were. Now, I'm going to make it simple. Were all the casings that you and I are going to be talking to the jury about this morning, were they all forensically examined? Yes, sir. By the Kentucky State Police ballistics expert? Yes, sir. All right. And was the Kentucky State Police ballistics expert able to identify, in each instance, a, 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 the casing and where the source of the firearm was? Yes, sir. All right. Now, we're looking at some casings you told, you're telling the jury, is out in the parking lot uh, away from the, uh, the apartment. Is that correct? Yes. Are these casings that were determined by the uh, forensic uh, ballistic exam to be uh, Brett Hankinson's? Yes, sir. All right. And there again, these, these here are the casings I mentioned earlier that are not prevalent to this scene. They were in the parking lot or in the, the mulch from an earlier incident. I think somebody mentioned something about maybe New Year's Eve somebody shot up a gun. Those are irrelevant and yes. determined to be unconnected. Uh, okay. That's 66. Yes, sir. Can we look at 60? Which ones that are there? You got one, two, one, two, uh, one, three, four. Here's five, six, seven, eight. Uh, I believe nine is behind the tire. And these are just, if you look at these, here's the back of this pickup truck. The first group of casings are here, and then you come over here to the right slightly if you're facing the apartment is where the second set of casings are. All right. Yes, Six. Just another picture of, uh, the, of the casings. Now, when a, when a, 
when there is a crime scene, is it common for detectives like yourself and other agents with law enforcement to work a scene? Yes, sir. And to collect evidence? Yes, sir. Is it, it, part of that collection, is it common for them to collect casings and bullets and any other uh, paraphernalia that might be, that looks to them to be connected to the crime? Yes, sir. All right. Now, so we've got, all of these are Brett Hankinson. Yes, sir. All right.
same uh, foyer we're looking at, just a different portion of that uh, breezeway. Yes, and you can see here is the, uh, the entry device, ram, whatever you call it, they call it, ram, uh, that they use to make entry to the door, and it's basically just a some of the uh, casings here that are numbered that you can uh, can you read them all right for instance so 19, I'm the, uh, 19 is uh, detective has been identified as coming there again these casings were sent to the Kentucky State Police lab uh, for examination in comparison with the officer's guns 19 uh, this came back as matching detectives Cosgrove's
shell casings uh, uh, from Costco was their recovered from the scene by the uh, by the police. Sixteen. Right. Now, kind of orient them. That's in the breezeway. And yes. What what apartments are those two?
It's probably where you get the case in 39. Okay. So police officers are trained to try to get covered, you know, try to be behind something when, when you're shooting. That's a natural instinct for a police officer. So you know when you go through that door, you don't have any cover. So as soon as Madeline went down pretty much in that area, he's trying to cover his fallen officers. So it would seem this is all approximation that 39, I believe, I believe that that's possible. There again, that's okay. We're, we're dealing with the fact that say the case goes on to the right. It's right. But you know, there again, there's, there's factors involved in that where officers are coming in and out, medical people are coming in and out. But that would, yes, if you. And that one is called Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and I, I think I stepped on his question, but it's his was exhibit 73 through 84. Those are the photos that uh, Detective Wolf identified, the 16 casings that were the forensic exam said they were fired on Cosgrove's uh, 9 millimeter. Is that right, Detective? Yes, sir. It's 40 caliber. Right. We're going to go to, to, to uh, Madden Go to women. 